Welcome to Murder Minute, your daily dose of true crime. On today's episode, Donald Harvey, also known as the Angel of Death. But first, your true crime headlines. A South Carolina jury has sentenced Timothy Jones Jr. to death for the murder of his five children. Jones admitted to police that he killed six-year-old Nathan in a fit of rage, making him do exercises as punishment until he collapsed. After realizing that he had killed the boy, he decided to strangle his other four children, ranging in age from one-year-old to eight-years-old. He then placed their bodies in trash bags and drove around with them in his car for nine days before dumping them on a dirt road in rural Alabama. A police officer at a traffic checkpoint detected the odor of decay coming from Jones's car and arrested him. He is the second person sentenced to die in the state of South Carolina in the past five years. South Carolina lacks the required drugs to administer lethal injection and has not executed a condemned prisoner since 2011. It took years for investigators to figure out what happened to the McStay family who vanished without a trace from their Southern California home in 2010. At one point, police believed that Joseph and Summer McStay had taken their two young sons and gone to Mexico voluntarily, though they weren't sure why. Years after their disappearance, an off-road motorcyclist found their skeletal remains in the desert, along with the rusty sledgehammer that was determined to have been used to bludgeon them to death. The following year, police arrested Joseph McStay's business partner, Charles Chase Merritt, and charged him with the murders of the McStay family. Prosecutors relied heavily on circumstantial evidence using cell phone and financial records to build their case against Merritt, and it was compelling enough to convince a jury that Merritt was guilty of four counts of first-degree murder. He faces the death penalty for the crime. A North Carolina man accused of gunning down his three Muslim neighbors in 2015 has pled guilty to their murders. Craig Stephen Hicks was sentenced to three consecutive terms of life without parole for the murders, as well as 64 to 89 months for firing into an occupied dwelling. In February of 2015, Hicks shot and killed 23-year-old Dea Barakat, his 21-year-old wife, Yusur Abusala, and her 19-year-old sister, Razan Abusala. All three victims were college students, and Dea and Yusur had been married for just six weeks at the time of their murder. Hicks' wife, who filed for divorce after the shootings, told reporters that the incident stemmed from a long-running parking dispute between the neighbors. On his Facebook page, Hicks described himself as a gun-toting atheist, and his posts were often critical of religion. Though he was not charged with a hate crime, the victim's families believe that their religion played a role in his targeting them. Those are your true crime headlines. For true crime anytime, download the Murder Minute app or follow us on Instagram at Murder Minute. Welcome to Murder Minute. Today, the story of Donald Harvey, the self-proclaimed angel of death, and the mercy he offered. Donald Harvey was born to Ray and Goldie Harvey on April 15, 1952, in Hamilton, Ohio, just outside of Cincinnati. Shortly afterward, the family moved to the small town of Boonville, Kentucky, 
His family was poor and lived in the mountains where, according to a psychiatrist, Harvey was allegedly repeatedly sexually abused by an uncle and a neighbor as young as the age of four. In school, instead of wanting to play with the other children on the playground, the intelligent but withdrawn young Donald preferred to spend his time with adults. He was remembered as well-liked by teachers, but isolated by his former classmates. Harvey dropped out of school after ninth grade, but earned his GED through correspondence school. By 1970, Donald Harvey was a factory worker with a home in Cincinnati, a steady paycheck, but little direction in life. When work in the factory began to dry up, Donald was laid off. That's when Donald received a phone call. It was from his mother. His grandfather was sick, she told him, and he should go to Kentucky to help take care of him in his final days. Without a job, without friends, and without anything to hold him back, Donald agreed to his mother's wish and set off for Marymount Hospital in London, Kentucky. The trip would bring Donald face to face with the cold, harsh reality of death and give the young man his first glimpse of what he would come to believe was his true purpose in life. Donald Harvey traveled south to Kentucky and quickly set himself up in town, spending much of his time in the hospital where his grandfather was staying. Very quickly, he developed a friendly rapport with the nuns who ran the institution. When the nuns saw the care and attention that Donald paid to his grandfather, they decided to offer him a job as an orderly. He accepted the job and started the next day. Donald Harvey killed for the first time on May 30, 1970, just two weeks into his employment. He smothered a stroke victim, Logan Evans, with a pillow. His next kill, although it started off by accident, would be just the next day. After Evans, Harvey murdered a man named James Tyree by using the wrong size catheter. After he inserted the catheter, he held Tyree down until he vomited blood and died. Whether he was unable to endure the suffering of others or whether he enjoyed watching their final moments, there was no doubt that something had changed in Donald Harvey. Donald Harvey had found his purpose. He decided that he was the angel of death, the man who decided who lived and who died. He could end suffering and stop pain. He could end life. In the wake of the murders, Donald began to realize the huge amount of power he held, even in a lowly orderly's position. No one suspected that he had killed the elderly patients. After less than a month had passed since his back-to-back -back murders, Harvey would go on to commit his third. On June 22, 1970, 
Donald Harvey killed a woman named Elizabeth Wyatt in a sickeningly twisted fashion. He cut off her oxygen supply and watched her die. Apparently, Wyatt was sick, elderly, and miserable. She was said to have been praying for death. Harvey would go on to say that this was his first mercy killing. Again, Donald cleared up the crime scene and called the nurse. Again, no one suspected a thing. Donald Harvey got away with murder for the third time. Donald now saw himself as a benevolent force, and with nothing standing in his way, he began to kill more frequently. Less than 20 days after killing Elizabeth Wyatt, Donald Harvey found his next victim, a man named Eugene McQueen. McQueen was not supposed to be laid on his stomach due to a medical condition. Harvey rolled McQueen over, allowing him to die by drowning in his own bodily fluids. In order to cover up this murder, Donald Harvey proceeded to take McQueen into a bath and tell the nurse that he wasn't looking good. The nurse, however, told him to continue. So Donald bathed the corpse. For some time to come, Harvey would be made fun of by hospital staff for bathing a dead man by hand, something Harvey took in stride, pleased again to have evaded suspicion. If only they knew. The hospital would go on to cover up the incident, and Harvey would be free to kill for years to come. The hospital, of course, provided the most ideal cover, as it's a place where death is commonplace, even expected. There were no missing persons reports, no faces plastered all over the television. Another key element of Donald's murder spree was the variety of murder methods that he employed. He changed his method with almost every victim, rarely repeating the same murder twice. Donald used plastic bags to choke people. He injected them with lethal doses of morphine. He even deliberately caused infections in open wounds, later attempting to infect patients with hepatitis and HIV. Over the course of that first year, Donald Harvey killed at least 10 people. During his year-long campaign of murder, he had settled in Kentucky, but his job was not the only thing in his increasingly reckless life. Meanwhile, he was struggling with depression and thoughts of suicide. Donald began a sexual relationship with a married man named Vernon Midden. Midden was an undertaker and an occultist, though he apparently wouldn't let Donald participate because he wasn't a member. Midden also gave Donald information on how the human body reacts to various things done to it, such as oxygen deprivation. When their relationship went south, Donald imagined embalming the undertaker alive. In 1971, he set the bathroom of an empty apartment in his building on fire in an unsuccessful suicide attempt. He was subsequently arrested 
and paid a $50 fine. He would try to kill himself later that year with NyQuil. On March 31, 1971, Donald Harvey broke into a house and was arrested on suspicion of burglary. Drunk and disoriented, Donald claimed to have entered the wrong home. When the police questioned Donald, he was babbling and incoherent, his words slurring thanks to the alcohol. Donald was rambling about all of the murders that he had committed at Marymount Hospital. The arresting officers, fairly certain that these confessions were just the alcohol talking, looked into his claims but were unable to find any real evidence. They put the admissions down to the words of a rambling drunk, but there was plenty of evidence for the burglary. Donald Harvey went to court and after paying a small fine, decided that it was time to move on from Kentucky. Donald Harvey then enlisted in the Air Force, but was promptly asked to leave and consequently tried to kill himself a third time. At the time, there were suggestions that his superiors had read the police file from his arrest. Though they noted the lack of evidence, the confession to the murders was still strange. They felt that Donald may be a danger to keep in service. Throughout this, Harvey became more and more interested in the occult and joined a local group. He began several relationships with men, but when he felt one of his partners may leave him, he poisoned his friend, his neighbor, anyone he believed was a threat to varying degrees of severity. He even poisoned his partner so that he was too sick to leave their apartment. When Donald learned that his boyfriend Carl was sleeping with other men in the park on Mondays, Harvey began poisoning his food with arsenic on Sundays so that he would be too sick to leave the following day. In 1972, he suffered through repeated bouts of depression. By July, the depression was so severe that he checked himself into the Veterans Administration Medical Center back in Kentucky. Donald spent a month in the facility, checked out, and then checked in again a few weeks later. He tried to commit suicide while in the facility, but again failed. This led to Donald being placed into restraints and the doctors suggesting a course of electroshock treatments. Donald was subjected to electroshock therapy 21 times. In October of 1972, Donald was released from the hospital. Though he showed few signs of improvement, the doctors decided that he was suitable for release back into society. Donald spent the end of 1972 trying to get his life back in order. He found a job as a part-time nurse's aide in a Lexington hospital. Then, six months later, he found work at another hospital. Donald continued to work both of these jobs for the next two years, but killed no one during this period. While Donald himself suggested that he was able to contain his urges at this time, the truth is 
that he simply did not have the same kind of access to the patients that he had enjoyed previously. Perhaps this is why he moved back to Cincinnati in September of 1975. There, he found work on the night shift at the VA Medical Hospital. This role was varied, requiring Donald to work wherever he was needed on any given day. But it gave him access to patients once again. And Donald picked up exactly where he had left off. For the next 10 years, Donald Harvey killed regularly. During this time, he murdered at least 15 people. Over time, Donald acquired morbid nicknames like the kiss of death from his co-workers, who joked about the number of patients who suddenly died while Donald was attending them. Donald joined in in the joking. He'd say, I got another one today, and everyone thought it was just a joke. He suffocated one person by placing a plastic bag and a wet towel over their face. He sprinkled rat poison in a patient's dessert. He slipped arsenic and cyanide into a patient's orange juice. He injected cyanide into an IV tube. He killed one victim, Ben Gilbert, by sticking an oversized catheter into him and then proceeding to stick a coat hanger through the catheter and into Gilbert. After his bladder and bowels were punctured, Gilbert went into shock and died. Donald Harvey disposed of the catheter and went about his day, undetected. To make the most of his murders, Donald studied medical books, searching for hints on how best to conceal his crimes. Over the course of many years, he stole cyanide from the hospital. He stole it in small doses over time. Eventually, he had more than 30 pounds of cyanide at his home. In July of 1985, Donald was leaving the hospital when the guards noticed him acting suspiciously. On a whim, they decided to search his bag. Inside, they found a gun, hypodermic needles, surgical scissors and gloves, a spoon for cooking cocaine, various medical texts, two occult books, and a biography of serial killer Charles Sabraj. Donald was fined $50 for carrying a gun on federal property, and the hospital offered him the chance to quietly resign. Donald accepted their offer, and as a result, the incident was not mentioned on his employment record. Once again, Donald Harvey got away with murder. So when Donald applied for a job at another hospital seven months later, no one suspected a thing. He was awarded a part-time job and performed so well that he was given a full-time position. At his new job, despite his recent close call with the guards, Donald dramatically increased the frequency of his killings. Over the course of the next 13 months, he would kill another 23 patients. Again, his methods were subtle. He would turn off life support machines, inject air into people's veins, suffocate patients, 
inject them with arsenic or cyanide. It wasn't until Donald met a patient named John Powell that his luck would finally run out. John Powell was hospitalized from a motorcycle accident in early March of 1987 and later died in his hospital bed. When a doctor performed a routine autopsy on Powell's stomach, he caught a whiff of something strange, cyanide. It was clear that Powell didn't die from his motorcycle accident, but from poisoning. Donald was the attending nurse for Powell, and the investigation was quickly looking into him as a suspect. Donald refused a lie detector and was consequently brought in for questioning, where he confessed to killing Powell. He said he did so because he felt sorry for Powell and his family. He did not confess to the other murders that he had committed, but as investigators looked into his past, the evidence mounted that Donald was the nurse on duty for dozens of other deaths in two different hospitals, one in Kentucky and one in Ohio. By April of 1987, the authorities had a search warrant for Donald's apartment. When they entered, they found a treasure trove of evidence. There were stashes of cyanide and arsenic, books on poison and the occult, and most importantly of all, Donald's diaries. Inside the diaries were detailed accounts of almost every murder, including the murder of John Powell. Donald Harvey was immediately arrested. After his arrest, his mother Goldie said, He's still a good boy. He's just terribly sick and needs a good doctor. While Donald Harvey had been arrested on one charge of murder for John Powell, the numbers quickly began to swell. Authorities had enough evidence to convict Donald Harvey for killing 37 people. Over a four-year span, he had murdered 21 patients at the Drake Hospital in Cincinnati. Between 1970 and 1971, Harvey killed at least 13 patients at Marymount Hospital in London, Kentucky. Donald knew that it was over and decided to make a plea bargain to avoid the death penalty. In August of 1987, Donald Harvey confessed to killing 33 patients over the course of 17 years. With every passing day, the number grew. Donald Harvey said, I felt that what I was doing was right. I was putting people out of their misery. I hope that if I'm ever sick and full of tubes or on a respirator, someone will come and end it. In court, Donald laughed when prosecutors showed the names of his victims on a board for the jury. Three of those murders accounted for the deaths of acquaintances outside of the hospital. Harvey himself estimated in an interview that he actually killed as many as 70 people. On August 18, 1987, 35-year-old nurse's aide Donald Harvey pled guilty to 24 counts of murder 
four counts of attempted murder and one count of felonious assault. Four days later, he pled guilty to 25 murders and was subsequently sentenced to four consecutive 20 years to life sentences. Harvey was also fined $270,000. On September 7th of 1987 in Kentucky, Harvey confessed to committing 12 additional murders while employed at Marymount Hospital. In November, he pleaded guilty and was sentenced to eight life terms plus 20 years. He pled guilty again a few months later for the three other deaths outside of the hospital from which he received three life sentences plus three terms of seven to 25 years. In total, Donald Harvey was convicted of 37 murders, but some estimates place him at closer to 87. During an interview in prison, when asked why he killed, Donald Harvey said, after I didn't get caught for the first 15, I thought it was my right. I appointed myself judge, prosecutor, and jury. So, I played God. Donald Harvey died on March 30th, 2017 at age 64, when his fellow inmates beat the serial killer to death in his cell. This has been Murder Minute. For true crime anytime, download the Murder Minute app or follow us on Instagram at Murder Minute.